The times, they are changing. We are in the midst of a transition. And the question that I want to pose to each of us, not just tonight, but throughout this weekend is this. When these things begin to become more intense, persecution for walking in faithfulness, how are you going to respond? Will your behavior match your profession? Are you going to have a walk that truly honors God? And I believe that when we open up Peter's first epistle, that he provides much information in order that our profession will indeed be accompanied by righteous behavior, by an obedience that truly testifies that our faith is not in ourselves or in anyone other than our Lord and Savior, Messiah Yeshua. Take out your Bible and look with me to Peter's first epistle. We're going to spend our entire time this weekend in this one book, looking at no other scripture, but simply saying, what is Peter's message to those who belong to the family of God? Now, it begins in verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1, with Peter revealing a few things about himself. He simply says, Peter, an apostle of Messiah Yeshua. Now, we know Peter as a disciple. Nothing has changed except that there is a call upon his life. Not just to learn biblical truth, but he has been sent forth with a call. And that term apostle reveals that Peter is recognizing God's authority over him. And that's the first thing that we need to affirm. We need to ask ourselves, truly, do we recognize God's authority over our life? If we don't, really, nothing else matters. Because if we don't approach Him submissively, if we don't recognize His Lordship over us, God is not going to do much in our lives. We're not going to have a God-honoring testimony. We're not going to be experiencing the anointing of that Holy Spirit. It's only when we recognize His authority, then and only then, will God's provision in our life become realized. So Peter says here, he wants us to realize who the author is, and he says, an apostle of Messiah Yeshua. Then he tells us to whom he's writing. He speaks to those who are chosen. Now, many Bibles will use the word elect, but it's simply the basic word for those who have been chosen by God. Chosen because they have entered into a new covenant, that is a kingdom covenant, in order that they have a new relationship with that living God. So it says the chosen ones, the ones who are sojourning, meaning this, they realize something. This is not their eternal home. They are not connected with this world. That word for sojourner simply means one who is on a journey. 
One who realizes that his destination is not where he is presently, but he's heading to a new home. So he says, the chosen ones to the sojourners and, notice this next phrase. It's where we get the term, the diaspora. Now, remember that there is a major difference between Peter and Paul. Paul was appointed to the nations. Peter, on the other hand, and we see this in the book of Acts, we see that Peter, in a unique way, was called to Israel, to the sons of Jacob. And when he speaks about those who are in the diaspora, he's speaking to those who are experiencing exile. And exile should cause us to have a righteous expectation. Now, we're not where we're called to be, all of us, if we're believers. We all are a kingdom nation, and therefore here in this world, we are exiles. And that concept of exile should cause us to expect a change. And not just to expect a change, but more than that, to be individuals that are believing that the change is very soon. We see here that he says, those who are of the exile, the diaspora, and he names some places. Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, that would be Asia Minor, and also Bithany. Now, these places were not far from Israel, but because they were in exile, they should expect restoration. God is in the business of bringing about restoration in the fullest sense. And here's what Peter's going to tell us in chapter 1. It is only when we are mindful of this restoration, when we have this godly-based hope in his promises, that hope is going to alter our behavior. It is going to give us power to persevere, power to endure Endure all things, because we know that in the end, that hope is not going to disappoint. That hope is going to bring, and we'll see this mentioned many times, that hope is going to bring about joy, a joy that cannot be expressed, and one that is, and the scripture says, one that is exalting, and that term means exalting without limitation. Now just imagine that. We have a hope that is without limitation. And this is all reflected in the character of God because the name of God, met a man here, Avner, and he has upon his hat the name of God. And that name of God, those four letters speak about God who was, is, and will be. And when we see that name of God in Hebrew, we speak about a God who transcends all things. So our hope, based upon this promise of an inheritance, is without limitation, and that's what Peter wants to encourage. Now, our theme is remaining faithful while suffering. Suffering from what? Well, before we talk about that, notice what he says, beginning in verse 2. This first epistle of Peter, it is all about going through the things that are going to transpire in, and he's going to mention Several times that last time, those end times, 
And he wants us to realize something. The very first thing that he says after, I'm the author, here's my audience. He says this in verse 2. He says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, that concept, Father, we think of this in two ways. Father is a provider, but also a father loves. A father is one who sees responsibility in regard to his children. So this God is our father, and notice that he has, it says here, foreknowledge. Why is that mentioned in a very prominent way in this first epistle? That God knows all things, and when did God know all things? Always. Why is that being told to us? Why is the foreknowledge of God being emphasized? Because God knows what you're going to experience. Now, not only is God omniscient knowing all things, his foreknowledge is perfect, but God, we also know, is sovereign. He is omnipotent. Therefore, if he wanted to, he could stop. He could stop anything that's painful, anything that is, is suffering in our life. He could stop it. He knows something. He knows that if he allows it, we need to remember there's a purpose behind it. So what we're going to go through, God is aware of. He can prepare us for it. He will provide what we need in order that we endure. And here's an important word that we endure to the end. Messiah spoke about that. And he says, he who endures until the end will be saved. He's not talking about salvation in the sense of forgiveness, justification. There, when he speaks about salvation, he's speaking about victory. What he's telling us is this. In the end, there is victory. Don't give up. Don't be an individual that says, this is too much. It's not with God. He's the God that says with him all things are possible. So no matter what we're going to go through, and there are some intense times coming, God's aware of it. God is a provider. And God is using this for a purpose. What is that? Why does he emphasize foreknowledge? Well, notice what he says. According to the foreknowledge of God our Father, for what reason? Notice the next concept. He says, in the sanctification of the Spirit. These difficult times that God knows is coming, He is going to use them for our sanctification. So if we want to be, and that word sanctification is rooted both in Hebrew and Greek, in the concept of holiness. In our second session, we're going to see that God commands us to be holy. And the only way that I can be holy in behavior. Now, he's not speaking about holiness in this passage, about being declared holy because we believe. There's an emphasis on behavior, an emphasis on conduct, an emphasis on being judged by works. Here again, the concept is not how to be saved. Peter is not talking to those who are lost. He's talking to believers. And for believers, God looks at us and he pays great attention to our behavior. Our behavior is not an instrument for salvation, 
but having been self saved, our behaviors of the utmost importance. So he says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit. Now look up for a second. I want to ask a question. And that's this. It is important for God to sanctify me through his Spirit. For what purpose? Sanctification's a big deal. God is working. When it says that God is, is working in us, he is moving to edify us, to build us up, that word edification, to be built up. Why? I'm saved. I have been declared righteous by the blood of Messiah. But what is sanctification for? What is God working in my life to bring about? Now, you can guess or you can just keep reading. And it tells us for obedience. Now, let me tell you something that is so disheartening. One of the most frequent emails that we receive is that we emphasize obedience too much. You cannot emphasize to believers, emphasize too much obedience. We just sung a few minutes ago the Shema. Hero is your, that is a call to listen for a purpose. That word Shema means to respond to God properly. Hero Israel, what? Obey me. Walk with me. So in sanctification for obedience. And then what else does he speak about? The sprinkling. He says here, the sprinkling of blood, the blood of Messiah Yeshua. Now, I hope you'll know that from the book of Exodus, we recall that Moses, a few different times, he took the blood of an offering, but we're talking about the blood of the very Son of God. And when Messiah died for us, his blood, just like we see a paradigm, an example in the Torah, Moses took that blood, he sprinkled it upon the various vessels in the tabernacle in order to prepare them to be used, in order for service, in order that worship could be done. So when the Bible speaks about the sprinkling of blood, it is saying that this is the, the preliminary step. It is something that's necessary so that service can begin. So that's why he says obedience, obedience in regard to the service, that only the redemptive work, if we're talking about blood, the blood of Messiah, only the redemptive blood of Messiah prepares us to serve God. If you have not experienced that blood of Messiah, you can't believe that God exists, but you can't worship him. Redemption is necessary for worship. What did God tell Moses? He says, I'm going to bring out the people and they are going to worship me on this mountain. What came first? Redemption. The blood of the Passover lamb. Then and only then were they able to worship God. And in the same way, without the blood of the Lamb, Messiah Yeshua, who this verse is emphasizing, we are not prepared for worship. We are not prepared for service. We are not able to do what God calls us to do. And then he concludes verse 2 in a familiar way. 
grace to you and peace be multiplied. Boy, don't we need grace in our life? Don't we need that peace that passes understanding in order that when we are in the midst of difficulty, we can be assured, I have been sanctified by the blood of Messiah for obedience, for service, and God's grace and that peace that passes all understanding. All of that is going to be available to me. And through God's provision, I am fully and perfectly prepared to endure whatever God sees fit for me to endure, that his name may be glorified. And here's the question. Is that what motivates us? Is my profession of faith all about God being glorified in my life? Or have I believed a, a false gospel? A false gospel that is prevalent today all around us that says, God is there for me. No. He saved us so that we could serve him and be about his purposes. Sanctification is always related to the purposes of God. Verse 3. Peter wants us to know more, not about him, but about God. And he says, blessed is God and Father of our Lord, Messiah Yeshua. The one according to his abundant mercy. Peter, he had a lot of failure in his life. Now, God can use even failure. He can restore. He can bring about a mighty change in our life. But none of that begins until we recognize our need for mercy and not just a little bit of mercy. You and I, all of us need abundant mercy. And the relationship between what we've read and what we're reading is simple. That abundant mercy is only found in that blood of Messiah, no place else. He says, through that mercy related to the blood, the sacrifice of Messiah, it says that we have been born anew for what? For a living hope. Now, this word hope is big in First Peter. He understands and he wants to share with you and me that unless we have as our primary objective hope. Now, hope is not what you want. That is the, the modern understanding of hope. It's not the biblical understanding. If hope is rooted in what you want, hope becomes idolatry. Did you hear that? When hope is rooted in my desires, what I think is my destiny, what I believe are my dreams, it is not biblically based, but you have moved away from truth and you are walking in a spirit of idolatry. Hope is always based upon the promises of God. What God has revealed in his word for his people that are an outcome, and here's this, there's a relationship between hope and the will of God. When we hope for these wonderful promises, realize they are found when we are in God's will 
Nowhere else. So I want God's mercy so I can walk in His will, that I can experience His promises. And if I understand the glorious promises of God, I'm going to have that endurance. I'm going to have that ability to continue on despite what the enemy places before me. Because the one in this world has already been defeated. Whatever he puts against us, God says it is a failure. He will not be victorious. He is defeated. He is fighting and he believes his own life that he can be victorious. He's already lost. We've already won. God is our Father. He will provide. So we do not need to be concerned about these difficult times. We need to be considering one thing, and that is, what is God's assignment for me? What does He want me to do? What does He redeem me in order for me to accomplish? And when I am committed to that, God's provision will be offered to me abundantly. And then notice what He says that we have been regenerated, born again for a living hope. And then he wants us to understand that that living hope is kingdom related. Now, why do I say kingdom related? Because the next part of this verse, the end of it says this, through the resurrection of Messiah Yeshua from the dead. Resurrection, what should come into our mind? Kingdom. And we see something. Messiah, and he's going to talk a great deal about this later on. He's going to emphasize the suffering of Messiah in every chapter. Messiah suffered even unto death. So what? So what? Death does not represent failure. The death of Messiah brought about, it revealed the glory of God. It was through his death that the will of God is fulfilled. Do not fear death. It is incompatible for a believer who believes that there is a kingdom. The resurrection of Messiah testifies to us. There is a kingdom. It is impossible for a true believer to fear death. We need to be more like Paul. Paul says what? Given a choice between the two, personally, I have a preference, he says, to die. But because I love you, because God has given me things to do, it is better for you, he says, that I endure. But left to himself, Paul chose death. Why? Because he believes in a resurrection, and through this resurrection, he will have a full kingdom experience. Verse 4. Now, we're talking about hope. We need to be more specific. Peter wants to give us another word to help us to understand this proper hope that we should have. It's kingdom-related, yes. Those promises that I'm hoping for is fully fulfilled in the kingdom. But notice something else. Verse 4. For an inheritance. An inheritance. What type of inheritance? One that is, he says here, incorruptible. That means it has no qualities of decaying. It is incorruptible. It is undefiled. 
and it is unfading. And the good news is this, that it has been kept. Pay attention to grammar. This has been kept means not by us, but by God. It's in the grammatical tense, which means it has been kept, it is being kept, and it will forever be kept for us. You know what that gives us? A great theological word. And what is that? Assurance. My inheritance, God has kept, is keeping, will keep until I become a recipient of it. And it is a marvelous inheritance. It has been kept, look at the end of verse 4, in heaven for you. Now, when we hear the word heaven, we need to think kingdom. All of what Peter is telling us, the motivation for enduring, persevering, remaining faithful, is all based upon a wonderful kingdom promise that we're going to learn is not worthy to be compared with any of these sufferings that are momentarily that we experience. So he says, look again, that's kept in the heaven for us. How is it kept? By the power of God, it has been kept through faith. Through whose faith? Ours faith. When we allow the enemy to turn us away from biblically-based hope, a kingdom hope, realize something. When you move away from hope, you are going to begin to experience failure. It is hoping in the promises of God that gives us God's provision, that anointing of the Holy Spirit, that we will overcome and we will receive the good things of God. So it's through faith for salvation. And then he tells us, which is ready to be revealed when? In the end time. And I believe fully that we are seeing the precursor of what's going to be much larger and what the scripture speaks of, what Messiah revealed called birth pains. We have not seen anything yet. It is going to be much, much worse. Darkness is going to cover this world. And we need to be individuals that are able to see the light. And the only way that we'll see that light is when we understand truth. Because biblically we see that connection between light and truth. He says, being ready to be revealed in the end time in which, I like this, in which you will rejoice. So we're on the road to rejoicing. That's God's promise. He assures his people in the future, when? In the kingdom. You are going to be an individual that knows true joy. Let me tell you, you don't know kingdom joy. You can, can dream about it, but no one truly has experienced the joy that we're going to have when we're standing in the kingdom, in the presence of God, 
being a recipient of God's promises. So he says, God's holding this all together. We need to exercise faith. Faith leads to obedience in order that when this last time comes for things to be revealed, that we are going to be individuals that rejoice if, notice the end of verse 6, it begins, this last phrase begins with the term, few. Sometimes it's translated remaining. He's speaking about something that, that is left to, to be done, something that's remaining, but he says, if a little right now, if it be necessary for you to suffer in a variety of trials. Now let me assure you that for each one it may differ in degrees, but it's necessary for each one of us to experience a certain degree of trials. And God is going to use that for your sanctification, for His glory, to testify to others, and we'll see this in a moment, to testify that that message of salvation is genuine. Because it causes people, that message of truth, the gospel, causes us to live like no one else. No other faith causes people to endure and persevere like our faith. It is unique. It is discernible. It is different. But the problem is this. When we look at our behavior with a, a, a very weak test, we don't see that the body of believers have failed, fail, fared that well. We have not done what God would have us to do. So he says here, now move on to verse 7. All of this, it's an opportunity. When there's trials, that's what he talked about, a multiplicity of trials that we have to go through. He says, there's a reason for that. In order to document your faith. Now, when was the last time you prayed, God? Give me opportunities to document, that word is prove, perhaps in many of your Bibles, to prove my faith is genuine. This is what testifying is all about. It's relatively easy to testify in, in word, to share your faith, but when it comes to documenting, that's literally what that Greek word is. Documezo. When it comes to documenting our faith by behavior, testifying to others that it's genuine, that it's different. It's not just one of many religions, but it's, it's rooted in the truth of God and the power of God. There's going to be a major difference. He says in verse 7, in order to document your faith, which is, which is much more precious than gold. Why? Gold perishes. But through fire, it is documented. It's documented. And it's found for, and here's what's important. It is found for 
praise. Now, many people, you can examine your own prayer journeys. When was the last time you prayed, God, I want to live in a way that manifests to others my praise, my adoration unto you? See, we want God to do all types of things in our life so that we'll be happy. Now, when was the last time that we wanted to experience whatever that would bring honor, glory, and praise to God? See, the problem is all too often our faith is selfish. We say, God, you're great. We believe you can do all things, so therefore do this for me. That's not the words of a servant. That's not someone who is recognizing his lordship. A, a person who comes before a Lord does not say, will you do this for me? It has nothing to do with this position that we're in. We're here to live our life, and Paul testifies to this, and we'll see some examples later on, that we're supposed to live in a way that documents our faith to be a living sacrifice unto the Lord. I'm called to make personal sacrifice unto the Lord. And that means at times, look again at the middle of verse, verse 7, that means at times, in order that my faith is documented, that it's refined, some Bibles translate this, by fire. In order that it should be found for praise and honor and glory, when? At the revealing of Messiah Yeshua. Now, we know He's coming. The question is this, is my life lived out in a way that does just this, that's going to bring him honor and glory and praise? This is what Peter, Peter knew failure, but he had a change. And you know what brought about the greatest change in Peter's life? The resurrection. When he saw that resurrection met Messiah, Everything was different because he understood the kingdom truth. Look at verse 8. Still speaking about Messiah, he says, Whom, whom not seen, but you love. For whom now not seen, but believing and rejoicing. Now hear this rejoicing and unspeakable joy and a joy which glorifies. Now, here's what he's saying. It's when I am confident that I have done, that I have behaved in a way that is praiseworthy, that is honoring, that is glorifying to God that there is going to be a response from God in the believer's life where he or she is going to know a joy that is inexpressible. We cannot describe it. We cannot acknowledge it in any way in this human capacity that we are limited with at this time. Peter is trying to do one thing. 
And that is to motivate us to realize don't be blinded by the things of this world. Don't allow anything in this world, persecution, hardship, suffering, to cause us to, even for a moment, to turn away from the call that we have. A call to be living our life as a sacrifice unto Him. We don't see Him now, but, but we are going to experience, and we believe this, an unspeakable joy that brings about glory. Look at verse 9. Now, we all know the word commission. Some people earn a salary. Other people, their salary is based on commission. Now, with God, there's no salary. The next word we see in the Greek text is where we get the English word commission. Commission is always based upon what you've done. There is an assumption that that person is going to be achieving. And therefore, based upon what he or she achieves, there is going to be a payment. This is what he's saying here, verse 9. He says, receiving, but again, it's the word commission. It is going to be dependent upon our behavior. Not speaking about how we're saved, but what our kingdom experience is going to be like. Through faith, you enter into the kingdom. But, but don't believe the lie that all of us are going to have the same kingdom experience. We're not. We're not. Does not Messiah say to us, desire to be great in the kingdom of God, not the least in the kingdom? And those who say, and I've heard so many people say this, well, as long as I'm there, that's all that matters to me. A true believer would never say that. That's just not our heart. That's not how the Spirit of God moves. So he says, look at verse 9, receiving the goal or objective. Now, it's the same word, and Peter uses it frequently in his epistle. It's the same term that Messiah used when he says, it is finished. God wants to pay us that which is truly. When Messiah says it's finished, it's not just that his work was over, but his work was perfect. Lacked nothing. This is what God wants to do in our life. And it says that you might receive the goal, the objective, Many Bibles will simply say the end of your faith, but it's not end as in over, it means the objective of your faith, which is the salvation of your soul. This is all speaking, the salvation of the soul is this change that we're going to experience when Messiah returns. It is a wonderful change. It is all based upon a kingdom promise. And notice what we read about in, in verse, verse 10. It says, concerning this salvation, this is not being saved. Remember, biblically, there's two very different words for, for redemption. 
One is the payment. We think of justification. We think of that gospel message by faith through grace that saves us. That's the means, the process. But we also have to realize that there's the final outcome of being saved. This is what Peter's this is what Peter is emphasizing when he says, the goal of your faith, the salvation of your soul, concerning such salvation, verse 10, the prophets. Now, I love this. I like how so frequently when we deal with the last days, when we talk about true servants, you know who's mentioned? The prophets. And it says here, concerning the salvation this is that kingdom outcome. He says, the salvation which the prophets, they were seeking, they were looking for, concerning the grace for you, they prophesied. These prophets knew that there was going to be a generation where the grace of God that's inherently related to the kingdom of God would be made available. And these prophets whom God revealed so many marvelous things to, what did they emphasize? They were looking, they were inquiring, they were seeking for something that would give them insight and understanding about the nearest, how near they were to the first coming of Messiah. When does grace, this kingdom grace, would be made available? Verse 11. They were inquiring for, and we see two things. The word really is just something. They were inquiring, they were looking for something. And the implication is something that would clarify. Or they go on and say, or what manner of time, they use that same word, for clarification to them concerning the Spirit of Messiah. They knew the Spirit, and remember, when the Spirit is mentioned in the Scripture, one of the things that need to come into our mind is the order, the purpose, the plan of God being set in place. And they knew that Messiah was the one who would do that. And it was testified, middle of verse 11, it was testified to previously. What was testified? The means for which this grace, this kingdom grace, would be manifested. And what did the prophets know? Notice what it says. The sufferings of Messiah. Prophetically, the scripture teaches, the prophets emphasize, that for things to be brought into order, Messiah had to suffer. But notice something. It says, and after these things, what comes after the suffering? Glory. Now, we are today the body of Messiah. That's why he tells us, in the same way that Messiah suffered, in order that this kingdom grace be revealed to you, to that generation, 
realize that in the end times, the body of Messiah, that's you and me, that we're going to go through a similar experience of suffering, suffering and enduring hardship, persecution, in order to bring about a change. And that change is ultimately going to lead to, and this is the message of encouragement, that it is going to lead to glory. The word glory is a kingdom word. We in this world, when we look at Old Testament and things happen that manifest God's glory, it was only a foretaste, a foreshadowing of the great glory. Think of the temple. What do we know in the book of Hebrews? Everything that was in that temple where the Shkinat Hashem, the dwelling presence of God was, Moses was told, it's just a pattern of what's real in the heaven. And now what we're going to experience is just a pattern in order to lead to a real glory. The glory that is related to the kingdom of God. Verse 12. Our last verse. To these, it has been revealed, but not to those prophets. Not to themselves, but he says, unto us. And now in light of that, we are called to be ministering these things now that have been proclaimed to you through, notice this word, through the evangelizing, through your evangelizing by means of, what's that next phrase? The Holy Spirit. Over and over, Peter is going to, at different times, place within his text, inspired by God, the message of the Holy Spirit that all of this is to put things in order so that God's kingdom promises can be revealed. God knows what has to happen for the best outcome. And the question that you and I have to ask ourselves is this. If that means that I suffer for a moment in this body at this time in this life for a glorious kingdom outcome, are you willing to do that? Are you motivated to persevere in light of what may be great atrocities that believers are going to endure in order for that great kingdom outcome? The Holy Spirit, he was present in Messiah's first coming and he is going to be working mightily in light of his return. So we read, this gospel that was evangelized to you by means of the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, which, and think of this, the angels. Now, the angels, they have a very, very different perspective than you and me. The angels, they are frequently in heaven. 
They have seen unbelievable examples, the very presence of God. Now, you've all heard the term the seraphim. This is a unique angel. Now, I think if you're really an individual that is bent on serving God, loving God, worshiping God, you'd want to be a seraphim. Why? You know what they do? They have a very short ministry. They simply say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole world is full of his glory, and then they burn up. For their entire existence, what are they doing? Praising God, worshiping God. And they have a marvelous transition because they have a temporary ministry that leads to an eternal future. That's good news. And compared, you see this, they're just, and they're gone. Isn't that what James says about your life? Same thing. We're here for such a small amount of time. Don't make the wrong decision emphasizing this temporalness, but have a kingdom, have an eternal perspective. It says here, that was sent from the heaven for which the angels desired, and this is a word of strong, they yearn to what? Just gaze upon. Now, this tells us the glory of the new Jerusalem. Wow. That's what their interest was in. They desired, they yearned to see that final condition, that final state of the kingdom of God. What, what Peter is saying in this first part of chapter 1 is this. If we really have that living hope, if we really believe in those kingdom promises, that hope, that belief is going to energize us to persevere no matter what we are called to go through. And remember, all those things that we're called to go through, who knows? God knows all. And God would not allow them unless they were absolutely necessary for His purposes to be met. And let me close out this first session with this. I guarantee you this. <clears throat> That if you start praying right now, God prepare me, God mold me, God teach me, that I will be faithful in the midst of what the prophets reveal is going to take place. That I will go through, I will endure, I will finish faithfully what you set before me. I promise you this. If you finish, no matter what you're called to endure, when you enter into the kingdom of God, you are not going to have any regrets. You're not going to say, God, you put me through too much. <laughs> God, you didn't need to allow that. You are going to, when you see the outcome, 
of what you endured, what it paid out in dividends in the life of others, you're going to have no regrets. Be individuals that understand the message of our time. I'm not a prophet, but I can read prophecy, and I understand the message of this time is get ready. Difficult times are coming. And the question is, do you really decide to be found Help support God's people by purchasing items made by them. Merchandise with a meaning. Products with a purpose. HolyLandMarketplace.com For more teachings, visit, support, or donate at TorahClass.com Join with us in worship and enjoy God's Word at Seat of Abraham Fellowship.